Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Like he said, uh, my name is Brent, and like he also said, I did marry it very well. In fact, um, I'm going to brag for a second because I have the microphone. Um, Tuesday is my two-year anniversary. Super excited. I did marry an amazing and wonderful woman. Um, So this is my third time doing a a full Sunday morning sermon. Um, But since my last sermon back in October, like Sal said, um, I've had the opportunity to speak at Reach uh, multiple times. And if you're new or visiting, um, or you just need a refresher, Reach is what what we call our youth discipleship group, and we meet on Wednesday nights during the school year. Um, This year, we read through uh, this reading plan that Pastor Sal got for us that focuses on um, five readings each week uh, on a different aspect of who Jesus is, um, who he is, why he came, prophecies about him before he came, his birth, his ministry, the prayers about, um, prayers, hard truths, crucifixion, and, and at, our, at our last reach, we talked about the resurrection. Um, however, we didn't get to finish the whole reading plan before the year ended, so I thought that uh, why not just do the last reading week today, uh, which is titled, um, Who is Jesus to You? The five readings accompanying this subject are about five encounters that people had with Jesus, and I'll touch on them in a minute, um, but first let me pray. God, thank you so much for this amazing opportunity, and um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me, that um, people would be, uh, people would hear from you in ways that I didn't anticipate, because really this is all about how you want to talk to people, and you're just using me as a a mouthpiece, so I just pray that um, my words would be your words, and everyone would feel your presence today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Have you ever seen somebody else do something, and you thought, oh, I can do that, Um, or maybe you didn't even have to see someone else do it, you just thought of something, and you're like, yeah, I can do that. Um, I had one of those moments on May 26, 2013. Um, It was Memorial Day weekend, and up until they had to sell it, Memorial Day weekend was the the weekend where my my best friend's family would open up their lakeside cabin up in Lake Chelan. Um, And if you don't know how Lake Chelan works, uh, it's glacier-fed, so when it's cold, the water level goes way down. And then as it warms up, it it gets higher. So in May, the water is usually still out pretty far. Um, so that means there's like this stretch of rocky ground between the cabins and the water. Um, so one of the opening weekend traditions is that we clean up all the driftwood and, um, you know, old scrap wood from building projects or whatever. Um, we pile it up on the beach and we have a bonfire with like s'mores and snacks. It just so happened 2013 among the scrap wood and driftwood in the fire, um, which was, you know, just a normal size four foot-ish bonfire, There was this long four-by-four beam sticking through the middle of it, uh, and it was kind of sitting at an angle um, just on top of the fire. Um, I was confident that with the uneven rocky ground that it was resting on and the uneven chunks of burning wood in the fire that I could walk from one side of the beam to the other. (laughs) Um, I I still have a little white spot on my ankle from falling in the fire. (laughs) Um, luckily, uh, I, I kind of, as it was getting real shaky, I just jumped the rest of the way. It was a real small fire, but my, my foot kind of 
got a little bit of it. I was wearing shoes, so it just hit my ankle, and, and I just plunged it right in the water, so it was fine. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure, I hope, we've all had similar situations where we thought we had something to prove, and then we looked really stupid when we did it. Um, sometimes it's from a lack of thinking it through, and other times uh, it, it's, it's um, that we, we feel confident that we're right in something, um, and then someone else puts us right back in our place. Um, so this leads right into my first scripture on the reading plan that I'm using. Um, if you have your Bible or electronic Bible, feel free to turn to Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 16, and read along with me. Um, I'll be reading from the NV Bible. And what I want you to do is take a piece of paper, like Sal said, take notes, um, or if you're using your phone to take notes, um, and in the back of your mind, keep this question as, as I talk, who is Jesus to me? Every time we get through one of the points, um, answer that question based on the point that we just went through, based on the scripture we just talked about. Um, so there will be five points, so you should be answering this question five times. So throughout Jesus' ministry, you can find examples of people like flocking around him um, while he teaches, and occasionally you'll read of a bold individual who asks Jesus a question. Some people ask out of negative motives, like trying to trap Jesus in his words um, or to make themselves look good in front of Jesus in the crowds. Uh, and some people ask with good intentions and find life-changing answers. So starting in verse 16, let's read. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. So in this case, the person was hoping that Jesus would answer his question in such a way that he could be sure he was going to heaven because of the life he was living. He had something to prove that he was a good man. How humbling it must have been to walk up to Jesus with the confidence that he was living the law and he was expecting a firm handshake from Jesus saying, good job, you're what I want everyone here to look like. But then to walk away because Jesus said he'd have to give up everything to really earn salvation. Jesus goes on to say that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter heaven. Everyone in this room might initially squirm at that statement because if you're in this room, you're in America. And if you're in America, you're likely one of the richest people on earth. Let me ease your fear a bit here. It's not just the rich people who can't get into heaven through following the law. It's everyone. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so maybe that doesn't ease the fear as much as it just, just throw everyone else under the bus. But at least we're not alone. No one can earn their salvation. 
This is the fatal flaw in some religions. Um, But lucky for us, Jesus continues by saying that even though it is impossible for man to earn his way into eternal life with God, all things are possible. So, back to the original question, who is Jesus to you? If you haven't already, write down who Jesus is to you based on his words here. I'll share my answers at the end because I want everyone else to answer for yourself before hearing my answers. All right, so the second scripture um, starts in John chapter 3. Uh, verse 1. So if you want to turn there and follow along. So starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now skip down to verse 16 with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So John 3.16 is probably one of the most well-known Bible verses in the country, if not the whole world. Um, But there are important verses all around it. Um, and, and we can glean some really useful information from all of it. And it's all good to quote John 3.16 and be excited that if we believe, we won't perish, but we'll have eternal life. But why do we have to believe for that? Why can't everyone just have it? That's why verse 18 says, Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is important for us to understand The reason God doesn't just scoop everyone up and set them in eternity is because the people who don't believe in Jesus are condemned, meaning they've been sentenced to death. Sentenced for what? For sinning. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin leading to death is a natural law. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. Therefore, anyone who sins, meaning to make an active choice to go against God's perfect commands, has condemned themselves to death. It's as much a law of nature as gravity. If you throw a ball in the air, within the gravitational pull of earth, the ball will fall back to earth. If you sin, you've separated yourself from the light of God. No one can ever hope to live up to the standards of a flawless God. So the human race is in a bad spot. At least we would be if that were the end of it. But being not only perfect but also loving, God provided us with the means to be forgiven our sins and stand no longer condemned. By Jesus living a perfect life, then being sacrificed on the cross, he paid the debt that we owed for breaking the laws of God. Then he rose from the dead and has the authority to forgive us and to accept us into his perfect presence as totally clean and perfect. 
This is the foundation of faith in Christ, and this is what the verse means by whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If we believe in him and in what he did, we're saved from the consequences of sin. I'll ask again for the second time. Who is Jesus to you based on what we just read and processed? Write it down. Then turn the page with me to John chapter 4. This one is a little longer, but I'll key in on some specific lines as soon as I drink some water. So starting with verse 1 of John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This passage starts out with Jesus asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. And honestly, if it wasn't for verse 9, where in the parentheses it says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, um, the story might not have quite the meaning that it does when we know the full context. The Samaritans were considered less than the Jews in the eyes of the Jews because Samaritans were a mixed people due to uh, the Assyrians conquering their land hundreds of years earlier. And as a result, the people intermarried, uh, mingled worship of God with false gods um, from the surrounding areas, and possibly worst of all, differing political views. Uh, I say that sarcastically, but don't forget that politics have been around much longer than the democratic and republican system we live in right now. 
And if you think that just because the internet wasn't around back then that people with different beliefs didn't still argue over politics, you just don't understand the nature of war. So here's Jesus in Samaria where there are people with whom it wouldn't be proper for him to associate. He strikes up a conversation that leads to a point where she confesses that she's been married multiple times and is currently living with a man who isn't her husband. Now it goes without saying that it's, it's pretty likely that she was divorced all those times. Um, though I guess there is a small chance that all five of her husbands died. Um, But the Bible says that to divorce on any grounds other than an unfaithful spouse and then to remarry is to commit adultery, which is, of course, a sin. Um, Additionally, the Bible also states that fornication is a sin, so to live with a man, not her husband, is to break commands of God. Um, So this woman is a lawbreaker and a Samaritan. Now, if Jesus is perfect, why does he bother with someone who is not only from the wrong ethnic, political, and religious background, but not even actively looking for a way to change. Because Jesus accepts all people from all walks of life, no matter what terrible circumstances of birth or choice. Um, Here's an interesting little side note. Um, Jesus didn't even tell the woman that how she was living was wrong. He didn't care that his fellow countrymen thought it was awkward or improper. He knew that it was his job as Christ to love this woman and all the Samaritans she brought back with her. In verse 39 through 41, it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Can I tell you that we all have our own Samaritans in our lives? Maybe we don't hate whole people groups, but there are people that we just don't associate with because we don't like them or they're too different from us. Or maybe we fool ourselves into believing that there are legitimate reasons to think uh, of them as lower than ourselves. We try to twist our, our arguments to make us seem righteous or just in our reasoning. Of course I don't associate with them. Their religion is false and destructive. Don't they need someone to shine a light in their life all the more? The reason, what reason do they have to research other religions if they're perfectly happy or confident where they are? No, I don't talk to these people. They spend all their time partying and never even consider that Jesus has more for them. Isn't it possible that they're just ignorant to the amazing full life of the Holy Spirit? And by knowing someone with the Spirit, they could have their eyes opened. No, I won't receive these people into my land. They're breaking the law just to get here. Come in legally, then we'll talk. Don't close your ears just yet. I'm not advocating for a certain political agenda. I'm saying that as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, we don't get to call people illegal aliens. Not because we have to be politically correct, but because Jesus doesn't care where someone was born or what laws they have broken. Jesus showed love to the Samaritans regardless of their country of origin and regardless of whether they follow the law of God or not. One of the best, if not the best, aspects of our nation is that we have freedom of religion. On top of that, we have a huge Christian presence as compared to other countries. For example, Thailand has freedom of religion, but it's still 95% Buddhist. So I'm not, I'm not saying that South American countries don't have churches or don't have similar religious freedom laws. But I am asking the question, why is the political leaning that is supposedly the more spiritually based and biblically guided 
more concerned with a person's earthly citizenship than with their spiritual citizenship. Again, I am not saying open all the borders, but at the same time, you won't hear me saying build the wall higher and wider. Our primary concern should be how do we most effectively get the gospel message out to everyone, including the lawbreakers or foreigners, because in Jesus' eyes, they're just as valuable. One last little tangent on this passage. We've all heard of the Good Samaritan. In fact, we have legal protections in America called Good Samaritan Laws, which encourage people to help someone in need um, by, uh, by offering protection from the possibility that your good intentions being thrown back at you if something goes wrong. Um, the Good Samaritan is a story in the Bible, obviously, and in Luke, it's, it's from Luke chapter 10. It's where a Jewish man was attacked by robbers and left for dead on the roadside. A priest saw him and left him, not wanting to get involved. A Levite did the same thing. And then a Samaritan man comes along, gives him a ride, bandages his wounds, and saves his life. See, the fact is, we don't always immediately recognize when someone is emotionally or spiritually bleeding out on the side of the road. Are you willing to just ignore them because you're not supposed to support them? I don't have all the answers in these political whirlwinds that we're in, but I can confidently say that it's a way better use of my energy to look for people I can help than to use my energy trying to get the Samaritans to get out. All right, so for the third time, who is Jesus to you based on what we just heard? Now get ready for the next scripture. It's going to be in Acts chapter 9, uh, and this one's going to be my shortest point. So we're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Now, at a first glance, this passage might seem to have a similar theme to the woman at the well, but there are some distinctions. The last story was about the Samaritan people coming to believe in Christ, but Paul's story goes a step further. Just like the woman at the well, Paul starts his story as a sinner and a non-believer. Unlike the woman, Paul hated Jesus and wanted to exterminate Christianity. Also unlike the woman, Paul didn't just end up believing in Jesus, but became one of the most well-known and influential apostles in the world and wrote multiple books of the New Testament. The reason this is important is because Jesus is making it clear that not only is he accepting of people despite their past, he will use anyone, even if the first half of their life was spent trying to burn the church to the ground. So you don't have to be raised in the church or have lived a relatively good life to be useful. Jesus can take you in whatever state you are and use you to expand the kingdom if you are willing to be used. Paul had a choice to make when he was confronted with his sin. He could let the guilt and condemnation of his past overwhelm him and either end his life like Judas did after he betrayed Jesus or allow the guilt to rule him, and even though he now believed in Jesus, he could have relegated himself to just sit in the back of the church, not actively try to further his spirituality, because he felt like he didn't deserve the mercy he received. The alternate choice, which he chose, was to accept that what he had been doing was wrong, and that he had sinned. Accept Jesus' forgiveness, and do whatever he could with the rest of his life to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't hold on to your past once you've been forgiven. Do you? So, who is Jesus to you as revealed in these verses? One more scripture, and then we'll be done. Turn to Luke chapter 9. In this passage, Jesus is alone with his disciples, talking to them about his impending betrayal and death. So we're going to start in verse 23 of Luke 9. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So here we have now written down four times who Jesus is to us. But how did we get to this point that we have all these statements about, uh, of, of who Jesus is to us personally? More importantly, if Jesus is all these things to us, how do we take hold of them? How do we accept the promises of salvation and acceptance? How, uh, it, it's pretty plainly laid out in this verse, I think, um, Deny yourself and take up your cross. So what does that mean? Um, has anyone seen uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi yet? Yeah. It's, there's a really good quote uh, from that movie, and I won't give away the context in case you haven't seen it yet. By the way, if you haven't seen it, it's going to be on Netflix on Tuesday. <laughs> so anyway, um, Kylo, Kylo Ren who is a former Jedi apprentice turned bad guy, is talking to the movie's main heroine, Rey. Rey is upset about a revelation of her past that she just isn't willing to accept. And Kylo says this to her, Let the past die. 
Kill it if you have to. It's the only way to become what you were meant to be. Now that is in, ex- in essence exactly what Jesus meant when he said to deny yourself and take up your cross. The cross is an instrument of execution. Jesus is calling us to not just let the past die, but to kill it ourselves. He says whoever loses their life for Christ has saved their life. To kill your old self is the only way to live as you were meant to. I bet you didn't know Kylo Ren was paraphrasing Jesus, did you? (laughs) Seriously, this is how Jesus is able to be all these things to us. You see, a lot of people don't give God enough credit for the freedom he has given to humanity. He cannot force us to do anything. Not because he doesn't have the power, but because you have autonomy as a person, which means you are in charge of you. Circumstances may affect how you react and how you live, But ultimately, you always have the choice to say yes or no to the power of God. As we just learned from Paul, he became a godly man out of his pursuit of Jesus, not because Jesus suddenly replaced his brain. To believe that Jesus is who he claims and to accept those claims as truth is to accept that he needs to be the Lord of your life. Now, Lord is kind of a weird word since we don't really use it in our culture unless we're watching medieval movies. Uh, A Lord is someone with authority over you, a a master or a a 24-7 boss. If you say, Jesus is my Lord, but you don't follow him where he says to go, is he your Lord? If you say, Jesus is my Lord, but you still actively choose to live in the sins that he died to cleanse you from, is he your Lord by this definition? I'm not talking about the occasional screw-up but the consistent indulging of the old nature. You say, Brent, we don't live under the law anymore. We're saved by grace. And you are 100% correct. That grace is given to us as we accept Jesus' lordship in our lives. I'm not perfect, and no one in this room is perfect. But there's a difference between living under grace by taking up your cross and just wanting the grace without doing anything. Let me, let me be a little redundant here because I don't want anyone to think for a moment that I'm saying you have to earn your salvation or that your good deeds have to outweigh your bad. God is not a God of fear. And if you are in Christ, you have no fear for your soul. But I also want it to be clear that if there is not a change in your heart when you accept Christ's lordship, how can you say you've crucified your old self on the cross? Paul says it this way in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. Jesus says it this way in Matthew seven sixteen through 20. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. If you bear apples, you are an apple tree. When you put your old flesh nature tree to death, you are brought back to life as the spirit nature tree. 
logically, you can't produce fleshly fruit anymore. So then why do Christians still sin? As long as we're here on earth, we know sin still exists, and it's not condemning to sin anymore. But that's why Jesus said to take up your cross daily. He knew that no matter how fiercely we love him one day, all it takes is one sleep, one comment, one thought, and we slip right back into that old familiar human nature. The important thing to understand is the need for balance between legalism, which is where we condemn ourselves when we fail to live up to God's perfect standard, and what I, I decided to call gracism, which is a bad title because it sounds like racism, but I didn't know what else to call it. But gracism, which is living your life so far on the side of grace that you forget that the whole point of grace was to get you out of your sin nature. Find that balance. Like how I needed balance to walk over that fire and failed. <laughs> Who better to help you find that balance than Jesus? You trusted him to save your soul. Why not trust him with your life here and now? So one last time, write down your answer to the question, who is Jesus to me as you see him after this passage? So finally, as I said I would do, um, I'll tell you who Jesus is to me. Now obviously I already explained my five answers because I laid them out as my points, but here they are condensed. So based on the first statement of what Jesus told the rich man, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Jesus, to me, is able to do anything. Nothing is impossible for him to overcome. Based on the second statement, he, he, when he was talking to Nicodemus, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, to me, is my savior. He's the only way to experience freedom from condemnation. Based on the story of the woman at the well, if you know the gift of God, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus, to me, is the epitome of acceptance with no exceptions. Based on the story of Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Jesus is willing to use anyone. Our past don't matter. Based on the last statement to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus, to me, is Lord. He leads, he instructs, he tells us what to do. Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.